Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab Podcast. Grant Baldwin here. Really do appreciate you hanging out with us. We uh, we got a great guest for you today. I mean, they're all great. It's, it's like picking a favorite child. But today's guest, uh, I think you're really going to get a lot out of. A lot of practical, tactical stuff that we're going to be talking through here today. So today, we're talking with my buddy, Phil Jones from Phil M, as in Mary Jones. I don't know if that's his middle name. PhilMJones.com. Phil actually also has a, a new book out, Exactly What to Say, which is a, a great book, a very simple read we'll touch on uh, in a little bit here. But in uh, in our conversation with Phil, we're going to talk through his journey into speaking and, and transitioning from doing his own workshops to becoming a paid keynote speaker. So maybe for you, you're doing some speaking right now. Maybe you're hosting some of your own events. You're wanting to become position yourself more as a, a paid speaker for other people's events. So we talked through how he made that transition. We talked through how he's built a foundational revenue model in his business that's really allowed him to build other streams of revenue. He gives a great analogy there. It's going to make you hungry. I'll just tease you with that. We also talked through common mistakes that the speakers make when selling themselves to potential clients. We talk about how to deal with pricing yourself and talking value with potential clients. So a lot of good uh, pieces of information. We we, we role play a couple conversations that's really, I think, going to help you uh, from a, a, a selling perspective for booking a speaking gig. So a lot of great stuff here. I will tell you that there are a few little tech audio issues early on in the recording. I think we got most of that cleaned up, but sometimes technology doesn't cooperate. Sometimes Wi-Fi doesn't cooperate. So just a, a little heads up there as we get into it. So it's it's not you, it's us. All right. But we, we tried to clean that up for you. All right, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Phil Jones from philmjones.com. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Hey, today I'm joined by Phil Jones, who is a uh, speaker and sales wizard. And uh, not only that, that the, the dude has a sexy accent. So buckle up for this. Phil, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no pressure. So let's start with this. You do a good amount of speaking. You speak full time. Tell us about what your speaking business looks like today. And then uh, we'll, we'll kind of backtrack and go from there. What does my speaking business look like today? I have somewhere in the region of about 18 revenue streams that I would say all come into my speaking business in some way, shape or form. And I probably do in the region of 90 or so in-person events a year with maybe 25, 30 of those being what would be called the traditional keynote. Mm -hmm. There are a number of those that would then fall into immersion half day type full day seminars. I do a lot of full day events with three, four, 500 people. And then some roll my sleeves up stuff, working with independent smaller clients and helping their sales teams sell more effectively. And that's a fun part of the work that I do. My work takes me probably 70% here in the US and 30% rest of the world with a chunk of that being UK based. But historically, I've delivered over 2000 paid presentations. What else? 56 countries, five different continents. 
So I've got around a little bit. You've been around a little bit for sure, man. So how long have you been doing this? Because obviously getting to uh, having done that much doesn't happen uh, in a matter of a couple months or even a couple years. Sounds like you, you've been at it for a while. Yeah. Formally speaking, I would say my, my business started as a sales training business back in 2007, 2008. But even prior to that, I was speaking in corporate roles. So I was a, a senior sales manager for one of the largest department store groups in the UK involved in new store opening projects. Mm -hmm. And as I look back in hindsight, probably my first speaking opportunities were me stood at the top of escalators addressing an audience of 100, 120, 150 employees yeah, in a yeah. paid-for role. But this kicked off really 2007-ish when the recession was starting to kick in. Lots of people were finding themselves challenged to win more business. Mm -hmm. And my background in, in sales and customer service and marketing meant that I was involved in in helping those people that came by accident really is I had a property investment business and was doing a lot with the BNI groups and the other mm -hmm. type of business networking organizations and would be asked to speak at those kind of events to share education slots to talk back towards people on sales and marketing ideas and when the recession really hit in I decided to step it up one step further and I started running one day programs so I put a one day program together that would help non sales people to yeah. sell more effectively and my speaking career was really born out of that, is my business model there was to run two one-day workshops every single month, put 10 to 12 people in it, charging around, I think, 150 pounds a ticket at the time, yeah. so somewhere like $200. And I'd put 10, 12 in a room and then pick up two to three coaching clients off the back, put 10, 12 into gotcha. the room, pick up two to three coaching clients off the back. And then I realized that my best route to market to fill my open workshops was speaking at other people's events. Yeah. So I'd go to the chamber events and I'd speak for free, but I'd pick up a dozen leads for my workshop. Right. And then kind of overnight one night, that, that started to flip around. I was getting invited by organizations where they'd send one person on my workshop, say, can you come and address my whole entire team? Yeah. Or I was speaking in free environments for a significant period of time and somebody would say, hey, can you come and do this for our big conference? And I started to find myself trying to navigate the pay-to-speak model right. from maybe around two years into that coaching and training business. So early on, speaking was primarily a lead generation tool for you, something that you enjoyed. and But primarily, that sounds like the it was kind of a means to an end that it led to coaching and consulting clients, which sounds like, was that ultimately the goal for you? Was I, I just want to build up these clients and speaking just kind of a, a way, to, a means to do that? Well, what I realized real quickly, though, is that to build a sustainable business, A, you needed multiple revenue streams. But the heart of my business is always laid in sales training. Mm -hmm. Now, I could do that one person at a time into a workshop, or sure. I could sell one workshop for 35, 40 people into one client. Yeah. And I realized that that was becoming the easy way to go about doing it. Yeah. So my goal then shifted to say, how do I get seen as being that guy? So organizations with a team, 30, 50, 60, 80 people would book me to do one day or two day full events. Mm -hmm. And I started to do a lot of the seminars, and then I went on the international circuit doing the same kind of thing. So right. event management companies would put my name over the door. They'd sell 400 tickets for a sales conference with right. Phil Jones running the show, and I'd do the full-day gig for a full day's fee, but they'd take care of all the admin. And I realized me going one-to-one -one was a slow way around. I mean, I was earning six figures back in the UK when that first kicked off from year one but it was hard freaking work. Right, 
Yeah. And I realized that, that, that it was easier to, to pick up corporate clients than it was just those micro business owners. So when you decide to make that mental shift, it sounds like you were starting to get a few people that were coming your way. And I think that that's the case with a lot of speakers, a lot of people who are, you know, maybe I've done some speaking here and there and I feel like I'm decent at it. I feel like I've got something to say. I feel like there's a way that I can add value and help solve problems for an audience. And I got invited to a thing or two and we've had a few things that fallen on our lap, but going from that to actually building some legit momentum, it takes a while. And oftentimes it's just kind of a, I'm just going to sit back and I wait for the phone to ring and hopefully it all works out. So what, what did that process look like for you of going from, all right, I don't want to just host my own things. I want to be a paid keynote at some of these other types of events. How do you begin to make that transition? Well, you talk about it like a process and I look back on it trying to think if there was one and it, it really wasn't a process. It was organized dogged determination pandemonium where I would, <laughs> I'd speak at the opening of an envelope. You know, if there was an opportunity for me to get up in front of a room full of people, damn, I was all over it. And then it was about, well, how do I make this pay? So I got really focused on who's going to be at that event ahead of time. I wanted delegate lists in advance. I'd try to network through things like LinkedIn ahead of time and see who was going to be in the room to make sure that we'd start the conversation before the conversation started. I'd pick up data from every event, data from every event, data from every event, build an email list from everything that I could possibly do, mm -hmm. look to get those people to transact and see where there were next steps. So my early years was, if there was a stage in an audience, Phil Jones wanted to be on it. Yeah, I went through all of the associations, all of the clubs, and I got friendly with all the people who knew all the people. Mm -hmm. And I started to rub shoulders with people who were way ahead of my tenure at the time in terms of the speaking side of things. Yeah. But I'd be out of my geographic area. So what would happen is I had my workshop business maybe happening in the middle of the UK, but I'd be, I'd be up in the Northeast where they were envious of my workshop business, but were doing better within the speaking business. And now I'm being put on a bill alongside people who are, you know, sole keynoters. So guys like Alan Pease from the from Australia. And, and I worked alongside Larry Winget in my early days, right, which right. was, you know, I'm on the same bill with this guy and I'm three years into my career and he's a seasoned Hall of Famer here in the US. So I kind of got the chance to better rub shoulders, learn from, listen from many guys like that, really. But my strategy was speaking brings me speaking. Yeah. And that's all I would look to do. So I would do, you know, if I didn't speak 150 times in a year, something was wrong. Yeah, But I might have only been getting paid for 30 of those opportunities. Gotcha, gotcha. Which is tough for a lot of speakers, especially early on when you're trying to get that momentum and you're trying to get that traction and you're going, you know what, my, my time is limited, my time is value. So if I'm going to do something, I don't want to just do it for free. I don't, I'm don't. i not running a nonprofit. I'm not just doing this out of the goodness of my heart. I'm doing this ultimately to build business. And so you're right that speaking does lead to speaking, but it's a very difficult mental shift to make that uh, I'm not just doing this for free for the heck of it, but I'm, it sounds like you are being very, very strategic in any event I'm doing, whether it's free or paid, I got to figure out how to make this event turn into two or three or four events down the road. And think about one of the other things in this approach. I wasn't just running around like a headless chicken looking to speak for free. Mm -hmm. I developed some other revenue streams that meant my speaking for free would still generate me something. And even the perception of what I was speaking for. Yeah. An audience would know that I had a workshop at 200 pounds a head that was happening on the following Thursday or yeah. was happening a week on Wednesday. And this was a regular thing in my schedule was a self-hosted event. So I always had something to sell, which meant that my free speeches as such always could lead towards something else. Right. Then it led towards first book. Then it led towards the creation of, I might not look old enough to do it, but I, I did recurring CD audio programs. 
So okay. I created a, a subscription base of a, of a paper-based newsletter and a physical CD I recorded in a studio that we shipped out to people on once-a-month basis for £10 a month. Yeah. I grew that subscriber base to 220 subscribers, and I thought it was my birthday. <laughs> I thought I'd like arrived. It was a big deal. And the work that went into that was huge. But I looked at what everybody else was doing, and I tried everything. Yeah. Everything you could possibly do to be a revenue stream. However we could slice it or dice it, I had a roll at the dice of it and see how I could make it work. I'm curious then when you're in the thick of that, because it sounds like you have always had your hand in a lot of different things. So it's never just been head down, yeah. focus on speaking, and that's it. So there's a, again, there's a lot of, of, of speakers and people that may be listening to this that are in a similar spot going, you know what, I'm interested in speaking. I'm also interested in hosting my own seminars or events or workshops. I'm also interested in training and consulting and coaching and doing a book and having a subscription service yeah. and having an app and having like all these things. And the reality is you can't do them all today. You know, something's going to come first, something's going to come last. So it sounds like you have very systematic, maybe systematically or just kind of like it randomly happened. You have built so many of those multiple streams of income into your business. So what does that kind of evolution look like? Grant, if, think about this. If, if I gave a child a cupcake, what's the only part of the cupcake they'd like to eat? I want the frosting. That's the good part. Yeah, just the frosting, maybe the sprinkles, maybe some further little fun stuff on top. But no child wants the base of the cupcake. In fact, they'll go through multiple lots of frosting without having any of the delicious sponge that sits underneath. And the majority of speakers are the exact same way. What happens is they want to run around getting nothing but the good stuff. What I learned from a real estate of early days is that I needed to build the base of my cupcake and continue to take this same principle today. In my early days, the base of that cupcake was £3,000 per month. That's what allowed me to be able to pay my bills. It's what allowed me to be able to act with posture mm -hmm. in the speaking space with the gravitas because, um, well, quite simply, I knew my bills were paid. Mm -hmm. That looked like a real simple thing for me in uh, the early days. It was a retained consulting client and a handful of ongoing one-to-one -one coaching clients. And I didn't mm -hmm. love that work, but it allowed me to be able to have the freedom to go out and operate in the speaking space without it needing to pay my next meal ticket. And it meant that when I secured a fee that was £1,000, £2,000, £3,000, it felt like it was awesome. felt like good money because it wasn't right. going on the other stuff. It tasted like frosting. Right. And the same thing is true to me today. I try not to start a year without knowing my overhead is covered. So we're recording this right now in 2017. I'm already going into 2018 now knowing the base of my cupcake is covered. For the last few years, what I've always had is a retained speaking contract with a larger client that wants me to do multiple events for them. So I've got a 20 gig event that is already lined up for 2018. Mm -hmm. Now, does it pay me full fee? No. Does it pay me good fee? Hell yeah. Am I happy with it? Does the client love me? Do I need to do any more prep for any of these events? No, I've done it once. I can repeat it forever. Mm -hmm. I now know more about my client's business in this area than they do themselves. And I've almost guaranteed myself this gig as long as I want to keep it. Yeah. How do I structure that gig? Well, I get them to pay me a lump sum money up front when we sign it every year. So I get this nice little tickle of cash every January. And then it carves down as 12 equal monthly, monthly payments mm -hmm. over that next period of time. And it lands for me on the same day every month. So it's not a job that I have, but it gives me that job-based income security that allows me to then operate on the fun stuff and play around with things and make some mistakes. Right, right. So do you feel like that you are still able to focus on some of those the foundation pieces of the cupcake that allows you to then play with the frosting or because you get, because you have so many irons in the fire 
I think it's difficult for a lot of not just speakers, but just entrepreneurs in general, that there's always going to be some type of, of new project or interest or thing that we'd like to pursue. So not only like making sure that we we deliver on the base of the cupcake, but also like having the bandwidth to play with the frosting or some of those other things that we may be intrigued yeah. by. You can only be building one thing at a time. So I have huge foresight towards that base of the cupcake. I've just told you right now I'm taking care of for 2018. Yeah. So you have to put that top of priority. And that's like, well, you would always take the priority of knowing that you've got a roof over your family's head. I view the base of my cupcake in that same way and want to see 12 months ahead of time if possible. Yeah. That allows me now the focus to give all of my drive and direction towards the frosting and the sprinkles part of my business, which is the keynoting side of my business and the huge fun I'm having through the book right now. Yeah. And you can't, well, I can't fathom to exist in any other way because I'd be too worried. I'd be too desperate when an opportunity came that I wouldn't play with the right level of posture when it came to negotiating over fee. I'd feel like if I'm ever playing the, like I need the work as opposed to I want the work, it's going to affect me in a way that's going to negatively sabotage my business. Without me putting that work into the early part of my cupcake and doing that every year, yeah, it would be a challenge out there. Yeah. I got to be honest, and I'm not the only one, I'm guessing, but I want a cupcake right now. I'm, I'm suddenly hungry for a cupcake yeah, yeah, yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. What, what are you feeling like? Tell me what type of cupcakes you got, you know, you're thinking. Are we red velvet? Are we chocolate chip? Where are we all going? All of the above. All of the above. There's someone listening right now that's going, yes, yes, I was thinking the same thing. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. So you're someone that teaches sales and, and speaking. Or sales for speakers is very, very difficult because it's, it's very difficult to somewhat detach ourselves from what it is that we're offering because at the end of the day, we're the product. So what do you see are some of the more common mistakes that speakers run into when selling themselves? Okay. First question that I think is the stupidest question for any speaker to ever ask is what's your budget? And it crops up all the time. If somebody comes with a, an inquiry towards, hey, we might be interested in you speaking at our event. Mm -hmm. And then we ask this series of stupid questions like, what's your budget? And what would you like me to speak about? And it's this, hey, I can dance, do any pile of tricks. It's like they've never done it before yeah. when they enter into that kind of conversation because they haven't taken the time to articulate their product offering. Right. And that brings towards another common mistake is the mistake that the majority of speakers make is they fail to choose their customers. They just wait till the phone to ring and yeah. then find themselves spending all their time working with all the wrong people. Now, have you ever been responsible for looking after children? I've got three daughters. So yes, I've got okay. my hands full. Imagine a situation for me. Imagine you're running through a shopping mall and you've got your three daughters alongside and you're walking through the mall and you look towards something in a store. You quite like it. As you step towards it, you like it more than you thought you would. You turn around for the opinion of the children. And in that moment, all three of them are gone. Thought for you, like many others right now, would be devastation or despair. But maybe sure. one listener or two is thinking, yes, finally some <laughs> peace. But the reality then kicks in and it says you must find the children, you must find the children. Now, if you wanted to find your children, how well would you describe them to a stranger in the street? Pretty well, yeah. You'd give them everything you've got, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Height, hair color, eye color, photos on your phone, what they're wearing, everything you've possibly got. Because you know the better the description that you can give, the easier it is to then find those people. Yeah. That's what we do with missing people, but the clients we don't have right now, aren't they just missing people too? Interesting. They're missing from your schedule. They're missing from your profit and loss. They're missing from your CRM. They're missing from your bank balance. I don't care where they're missing from, but they're definitely missing. And many people set out a year. They say, I want 50 gigs this year. I want 30 gigs this year. I say, with who? They say, with anybody. Yeah. And then what happens is they get disappointed that the wrong gigs turn up. Mm -hmm. 
we do have the right to choose the type of people that we love to work in. And the narrower that you become, the easier life starts to become because people know what you're about. If you're a speaker and you cannot answer these two questions, you need to then shake yourself and get to work on this thing before you work on anything else. And it's who are the people that you help and what are the problems that you solve for them? Yep, exactly. Know those two answers to those two questions, know them with clarity, then you can bring yourself to the market with huge success. Coupled with that, you need to be aware of the fact that there are typical questions that are going to be asked of you. There are going to be multiple times you're going to need to find yourself in the exact same situation, and you're going to need to articulate your answers to those questions and the statements that you make in the right kind of way to demonstrate your value, because the thing that we're being judged on is the power of the conversation we're in at the moment. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't it make sense to make these words count? Yet what happens is here is that speakers find themselves in a situation where they engage with the client and they have no idea what to say. Now, for the last 10 years, I've never worked with a bureau. Now, that's changed recently, but I have 10 years of experience of never working with a bureau. Lead and inquiry would come in to me towards speaking. And the inquiry comes in in the same way it does normally. The phone doesn't ring. So we talk about the phone ringing. How many times has the phone rung for a gig? Never. It doesn't, right. You're you're right. right. So we still talk about phone ringing. And what happens is an email comes in. We're thinking about doing an event on this date. We want to check availability. We'd love to know if you're available. Or they make a pitch or an offer towards you to say, this is what we'd like you to talk about and this is what we want to pay you. Mm -hmm. That's the typical thing that happens. But more often than not, the person that's asking that request is expecting a response in the other direction using the exact same means of communication that they made it in. Mm -hmm. The phone should ring at your client's end. So you want to be demonstrably different from your competition, get involved in the conversation in a different way. Email inquiry comes in, pick up the phone to them instantaneously. And if you're in the early part of your speaking career, make sure the person that calls them is you. Yep. Totally agree. Opening part of the conversation is crucial. You need to know how to exactly open a conversation. You can open a conversation quickly and easily following three simple steps. First step is some form of form greeting. Now, this might be, hi, I'm calling from Phil Jones's office. That's a pretty warm greeting. It's really simple. Behind an opening, we need a fact. Behind a fact, we need a question. Now, that's a standard opening towards any cold conversation that gets you straight to the heart of it. What could it be here in terms of the fact? I can see that you're planning an event on. Insert date, right? What could the question be? Well, the question that would be cool here is that you're thinking of Phil to be able to speak for you. What is it about Phil that makes you think that he's the right person for the job? Right. Right. Client does all the work, all of the work, but they also don't know who they're speaking to right now, do they? <laughs> sure. But now then when this comes out a little bit later, we've blown their socks off. Yeah. What we then fail to be able to do is to position price. Now, I'm a sales speaker. This is easier for me than it is for many others. But let's just play this out. And Could you be the other side of the conversation sure. and just imagine that you're thinking about booking a speaker? Sure. So here's where I would go in order to be able to position price. I'd say, so well, how many people have you got at the event? Uh, we'll have around 300 people from our uh, from our, our company. Okay. And of these 300 people, how many of them are in customer-facing, sales-focused roles? I would say, let's see, about a third of them or so, about 100 of them. Okay. And you're looking to make a change in their sales performance as a result of the presentation? Yeah, our sales have been a little bit stagnant lately. And so just trying to do something to refire them up and, uh, and maybe pursue some other opportunities for sales. Okay. So help me just to understand about exactly where they're at right now. Take a typical salesperson on a typical week. How much do you think they're losing for you in this sales opportunity? Is it $100 a week, $1,000 a week, $10,000 a week? Where might it be right now? Well, I would say, yeah, let's, we'll, say the, we'll say somewhere in the middle and say $500 a week, give or take. $500 for, a week. Yeah. Okay. And how long has that been going on for? Is this a recent thing? Is it a year? Is it longer? 
feels like the last six months or so. Okay. So for the last six months, you've had 250 people or so losing you around $500 a week. How much longer are you planning for that to go on for? Oh, hope, hopefully not long at all. <laughs> right. So I guess that's why we're talking to each other. Right, right. So what have I done in that conversation? I've positioned a fee before we've even talked about a fee. I've demonstrated a value to sell against. Right. If I'm going to ask for $20,000 for 60 minutes of my time, well, I need to deliver something that's worth more than $20,000. Right. I haven't said how much better their people are going to be as a result of my presentation. Let's look at the size of the problem we've created. $500 a week for around six months. That's 26 weeks. What's 500 times 26? Well, if it was times by 10, that would be 5,000. That's 10,000. That's another six on top of that. That's $13,000. 13,000 times 250 people. I got Have it. I got a number that is significantly bigger? 3.25 million. Right? And I'm going to ask for 20 grand. To be able to help talk towards this problem that could possibly impact upon it. That's how we demonstrate our value. Right. Yet what starts to happen is every time we're going to enter into a fee-based conversation, we roll over. Yeah. yeah. As a community, we get scared. And and listeners right now, imagine that position of a turtle lay on their back with all four legs in the air. Right, right. That's what you look like <laughs> when you're involved in one of these fee-based conversations and you're not proud of your price. Yeah. If you are not convinced in the value that you bring, you cannot ask somebody else to be convinced in the fact that you're going to bring that value. And these conversations are crucial. If you think about each and every conversation that you have when you're trying to book yourself as a speaker, you know the protocol. Mm -hmm. You know the dance it needs to go through. Take the time to understand exactly what to say, when to say it, and how to make it count. And what will happen is that you'll convert more of those opportunities at the kind of level that you're looking for. Right, right. Let's backtrack for a second here. You said foundationally two things that a speaker really needs to know is who their yep. audience is, who they're speaking to, and ultimately what the problem is that they're solving. Now, most yep. speakers, you're right. You, you, most speakers would say, especially early on, I just want to speak. So I don't even care who it's to or what it's about. And so you, you kind of alluded to, and I would totally agree, that the more narrow and focused you can be, the easier, and it's very counterintuitive, but the easier it is to start to find gigs. So what would you say to that speaker who's going, yeah, 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 but I don't want to limit myself to my number of opportunities because I could speak on sales. I could also speak on leadership. I could also speak on customer service or motivation or culture or fill in the blank, any number of topics. And so I want to spread the net as far and wide as possible to hopefully get as many gigs as possible. Now, that's not accurate, but can you, can you give us any thoughts or feedback on that? Well, the first thing I'd say is that if you had a can of beans in the kitchen cabinet and you wanted to open it, what tool would you look for? Can opener. Not a Swiss army knife, right? Right, right. So that gives you immediate understanding and clarity to say, well, actually, people are looking for an independent person. I'd then probably tell them another story. Now, I tell something in one of my openings about the fact that we launched a business that turned over 240 million pounds at its peak on a sales team of just five. I'm kind of proud of that. What I failed to talk about is that in its second best year, it turned over 80 million. It's a fairly significant difference between right, the best sure. year and the second best year. So I don't use the second best year story. <laughs> but the second best year, we were trying to serve everybody with an overseas investment property proposition. Yeah. In our best year, we became an overseas property specialist for dentists. Completely weird set of circumstances. But instead of us going to an exhibition with lots of other overseas property providers, 
surrounded by everybody else doing somewhere that sounded like just the same thing as us, only marginally better. We went to the dental trade shows. It was, would you like to buy a new chair? Would you like to buy some new drills? Would you like to buy some new mouthwash? Or how do you fancy a place in the sun that turns 20 grand into 200 over 10 years? Interesting. And our game changed. Then when we went into a conversation with the dentist, we could speak the dentist lingo. Right, right. We talked about the number of dentists that we worked. And you know what the dentist said when we could talk the dentist lingo and talk about the dentist that we helped? The dentist would say to us, I'm a dentist. So if you help dentists, then um, you're my guy. Right, right. And Make it, it self-associate. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, okay, let me shift gears for a second on that. Because one of the other things that you'd mentioned was in terms of pricing, in terms of pricing yourself, that it's easy to have that conversation that kind of walk the potential client through where you basically are showing the, you know, the potential math of the value that you're bringing to the table. So like in the example we were talking about, you know, if you're able to bring, you know, several hundred thousand or million dollars in value, then 10, 20, 30,000 for a keynote seems like a no brainer. Now, it's easy to quantify from a sales perspective if you're teaching sales. But what about if I'm teaching, if I speak on motivation or if I'm speaking on leadership or I'm speaking on something that it's, it feels a little bit more difficult to put numbers behind. So what do you, okay. how do you walk through that process? Here's a three-stage questioning technique that you can use to get just about anybody to do just about anything. That's kind of what we're looking for here, right? Is sure. what can we do to be able to lead somebody towards an outcome? When it comes to the decision-making process, the key thing that we need to understand is the true definition of a word that is thrown around in our industry like confetti and people don't know the true meaning of the word. You might know that I'm a little pedantic when it comes to the exact words that people have to say. But the word in question is the word motivation. Yet still very few people know what it means. And it splits out after the first V. The first part of the word comes from the Latin word metavis. Second part of the word comes from the word we now know as action. Metavis modern-day translation is motive. And if somebody had a motive, they'd have a reason, a reason to take action. That's really the all that is meant by the word motivation. So would it be fair to say that if the reason was big enough, you could get just about anybody to do just about anything? Sure. If the reason was big enough. We have to create a reason that is big enough for a client to decide that parting with that sum of money is the right thing. But we have to understand what it truly is that gets people to be able to move. I want you to imagine in your room right now, Grant, look towards the doorway. And as you look towards the doorway, I want you to imagine that it doesn't open out into your landing, your hallway, or wherever it might do. Behind that doorway is nothing but a sheer drop to the floor. And you are, in fact, 85 stories high right now. It's okay, though, because adjacent to your building, 100 yards away, is another building. It, too, is 85 stories high, has an identical doorway to yours, and between your building and their building is a steel braided wire that is an inch and a quarter thick, and it's perfectly fixed to your building, and it's perfectly fixed across the way. I mean, there's 100 yards in between the some bounce in there. I don't know what the weather's like in Nashville right now, but I would imagine it's a little slippy up there at 85 stories. How about just for fun, I get you to walk the tightrope when we're done. Do you fancy doing it? I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> okay, well, what about if I gave you 10 bucks? Um, I'm also going to pass on that. All right, a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks. I still would probably pass. Right? See, for the majority of people thinking in right now, there wouldn't be a number I could get to that makes you think about it. I might get to six, seven, eight figures, figures, and you start to ask questions of me about harnesses and can you go on all fours and what happens if. (laughs) But still, there is no desire inside of you to do this thing, regardless of the fact that should you do it particularly if you're being paid to do it, you become significantly more comfortable. Mm -hmm. 
change one set of circumstances is getting warm in the room that you're in right now. I mean, crikey warm, the flames are licking at your face and smoke's filling up your lungs and the only way out is through that doors. How much do I need to pay to leave? Pretty minimal amount to get out of there. Right. You're at the front of the line and you're hustling across there without a care in the world. Right, right, right. Now, I don't know a better way of proving to people that people do not move to become more comfortable. People move when they're uncomfortable. That's one huge piece of psyche that we must understand if we're looking to position our value. That plays towards a three-stage questioning technique. And who believes this time next year they'll be in a better position than the one they're in today? Only everybody. We use that towards our advantage. Sure. So we ask somebody about their plans for the future. Now, this is easy for an event organizer. Talk to me about your plans for the event. Zip it. Let them go, let them go, let them go. And people do a pretty good job of selling something to themselves if we let them and don't become sales prevention officers. Ask their plans, listen to their answers, ask them more until you can see it clearly and help understand the why they're doing this thing. See, if you can see it clearly, how well do they see it? Mm -hmm. They're now vivid, crystal clear. They've jumped into that moment. It's easier to make a decision when you're in the moment than it is when you're outside of the moment. Every decision is made on pictures. You've just helped them paint a picture for themselves and insert themselves in the circumstances they're being asked to make a decision in. Second part of this questioning technique is to know that people make decisions on emotion over logic. Mm -hmm. We have to trigger some emotion. We need to anchor that emotion towards a happy place. It's easy. So say the event goes perfectly. It's more than you could ever imagine. And people are saying wonderful things about it as they're leaving the venue. How do you feel about being involved in organizing that process? Right, right. What do you think the client's going to say? They're going to reach for happy thoughts. You know, I feel excited. I feel proud. Mm -hmm. Do you know when you mouth an emotion like pride, you experience a touch of pride in that moment? You cannot help get a tiny dose, not a full dose, but enough to say, I'd like some more of that. Sure. We've taken them to their happy, happy place. We've shown them like a million dollars of happiness in their money. This is as good as it gets for them. But we know that the happiness isn't the thing that moves people. It's the ability to bump into some form of potential pain. It's the contrast between happiness and sadness that creates people having the ability to move. So now we break it. And here's where we jump to third part of this questioning technique that says, well, what would the consequences be? of putting yourself in a situation where you didn't get the right speak on the day. Now we make it important. Now we've got them into a situation where we've provided a level of consultation that they hadn't yet considered for themselves. Yeah. What do they see in their mind's eye? They see the building on fire. They see a disaster. What we need to have ready behind this is the, the good news is story. The good news is you're speaking to the exact right person. What I do understand based on the things that you're looking to be able to do is I can deliver a knockout presentation at this point in time. I can understand the entire brief. I can make sure that you leave with those feelings and avoid these ones. And I'm excited to be able to partner with you on the event. Yeah. But I haven't talked about my topic and my bullet points and my slides and my (laughs) showreel. I've talked about what they're looking to be able to achieve. And then I've just fed them back the thing that I know they love the taste of. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting stuff, man. This has been super helpful and I, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, I know we could go on for a little while on this, digging into the, the sales side of it, but to make all of our lives a little bit simpler, you uh, you put these thoughts into a book. Uh, tell us what's your new book. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, sure. I got a cute little book that I'm super proud of. One of the things I learned about people in business and speakers I would class into that category too is that they're brilliant at buying books, just not so good at reading them. Sure. So I thought if I could write a book that is... 
Well, something you could read cover to cover in like 90 minutes. It has yeah. 15,000 words in it, and you could take something from every page that exists inside the book. Well, chances are you might read it. The fact that the pages have white space on it and the font is big, chances are you might read it. And I've learned if people read it, they might act on it. And this is a book full of what I call my magic words. Magic words are words that talk straight to the subconscious brain. These are the things that trigger people's decision, kind of on a reflex side of things. The book has 25 precise examples that sit within their application and basic psychology, helping get us to navigate those difficult conversations more often. And I had huge fun writing it. It's blasted through the charts and done really great over its first few weeks since launch. And I couldn't be prouder of the results it's helping people achieve. I don't really want to say too much more about it because it's so simple to read. Sure. Any more that I give away from it, I might as well read the book to them. <laughs> which maybe, which maybe we, uh, we have you do that in a different episode. So the book is called Exactly What to Say. Definitely pick it up. In fact, I, I was telling Phil beforehand, I, I have not read it yet, to be transparent, but I had a friend give it to me. I got it, I'm got it in my hands right now at this moment and thumbing through it here. It does look like a very quick, simple read. So it's definitely worth picking up. I'm with you that, you know, picking up a the typical business book that's, a, you know, a three, 400 pound book or a 300, 400 page book. It's just, it's overwhelming. Most people won't get through it. And most of it, most of it's filled with, uh, with fluff and unnecessary wording. So it sounds like, uh, in this book that you've got here that, uh, it's definitely cuts straight to the heart and gets to the, uh, the, the matter of, uh, of sales for, for speakers and anybody looking to, to sell and share their influence and impact with others. Sounded like you finished there. <laughs> I'll have to, uh, have to pick it up and read it myself. So, Hey, Phil, uh, we appreciate the time, man. If people want to f- want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where, where can we go? Yeah. Easiest place is to come via my website. That's philmjones.com. It needs the M in the middle. Otherwise you find a Manchester United soccer player. And, um, well, yeah, we need the M. If you want to join in conversation with me online, Twitter's probably the best place to find me in person. That's at philmjonesuk, but I'm across all of the other social networks too. And would love to hear from people and see what I can do to help anybody on their journey to speaking success. Awesome. Phil, thanks for the time, man. We appreciate you. Love to be here. Thanks. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Phil Jones. Again, check out his book, Exactly What to Say. I mean, it's literally that. It is, it is exactly what to say. So uh, again, small, simple read. I got a, a copy with me, and I would encourage you to pick that up and uh, check it out. Again, you can check out his work over at philmjones.com. Check out the book as well. And I uh, really, again, do appreciate you being here. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you tuning in and sharing this episode and, and the, uh, the entire podcast with others who may be able to benefit from it. We will catch you next time, my friend. You're awesome.